0: We are in the middle of a series called Piercing the Darkness is based on the book of Romans. And rather than just going verse by verse, there are a variety of topics inside of Romans which cover a whole host of scripture. So we're covering those topics. And so today we're going to be going into a particular passage of Romans. And it's Romans chapter 8 verses 9 through 14. And I'll begin to share what that topic is. Would everybody stand for the reading of the word today? And again, we'll read verses 9 through 14. Let's begin. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that as we learn today that it would do more than just fill our minds with information. I pray that we can have the heart, the values that influence us, God, that you would shape and mold those. We welcome your Holy Spirit to confirm things to us that we need to have confirmed, but we also ask that Holy Spirit to challenge us, to grow us, to help us, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen, amen. the Lord bless you, you be seated. So inside the book of Romans are a variety of topics that the Apostle Paul addresses. And before we get into what the emphasis is going to be today, One of the reasons that we're going to be leaning into this particular topic that I'll share in just a second is this. If you haven't noticed, during dark times, some things become of more necessity than others. In other words, we all have a variety of skills. We have a variety of attributes that we draw to live life. But sometimes a dark time can come into our life. And then we suddenly find that certain attributes we need to lean into more heavily to get us through that dark time. And an example would be this. Most of us have some sort of uh, financial management. Otherwise, our, our personal life would be falling apart and our houses would be getting repossessed. So we have a basic level of what we call financial management. But from time to time, people fall into what we call financial hardship. And so suddenly they're leaning into financial management way more than they would normally do. All of a sudden they may go, you know, a credit card's not a good idea uh, because I don't pay for it for another 30 to 45 days. I need to get a handle on my cash flow. So they might get in the the habit of of paying cash uh, to try to get a handle on things. Another thing is this, have you ever noticed in financial hardship how valuable a coupon is to you? You know, all of a sudden you're like, hey, that's a buck fifty, that's two bucks, that's five bucks. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you're leaning into the coupons more. You're, doing, you're, you're asking people, where do you find them, where do you clip them? And then, you know, when your family wants to go out to eat, you used to say, hey, where do you want to go? Now you pull out gift cards and coupons and say, these are your three options for dinner tonight. Okay, because it's the only place, and it's just one of those, during those hard and difficult times, we lean into certain attributes harder and we rely on it more because we're trying to navigate a particular time in our life. It's no different in the book of Romans. Uh, I don't have time to set up the whole backdrop. I've done that in a variety of messages, but Paul's traveled Rome for 10 years and he has seen firsthand the values, the culture, and he sees that uh, Roman culture is not a good thing. Roman culture is destructive. Roman culture is not based on biblical values. And he sees a lot of consequences that are going to be coming because, like I said, he's traveled around and he has watched the fallout of the values of, of, Roman va- of, of, of the Roman Empire. And I'll just say this. While he knew things weren't going to go well, I don't think he was able to forecast how bad it really got because a lot of the bad stuff that we would refer to today to set up a lot of messages... A lot of that stuff hadn't happened yet. Some bad stuff had happened, but not near the degree. I don't think anybody could have forecast how bad it was going to be getting. All because Rome's values contributed to those kinds of things. And so Paul's leaning into a variety of things in the book of, in the book of Romans. And one of those that you find that he's leaning into, and we read a passage today, it's called the Holy Spirit. Why is he leaning into the Holy Spirit? Well, because if you haven't recognized by now, the only way to take a swing at an evil spirit is with the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of people try to figure this out, like, we need to do something about this and we need to, and I go, I hear you, but let me tell you that it's more than just a behavioral issue. You have to get behind the behavioral issue and go, what's the value? What's driving that person to where that they think that behavior is a good behavior or the right behavior? You've got to get into the value system. You've got to get into the story that they're telling themselves because most people don't live with reality. They live with the story they tell themselves. And, and the reality is the story they tell themselves. Reality can be totally different. But my story that I tell myself is more important. And so people stand behind a story they tell themselves, and you're going, yeah, but reality's not that way. Welcome to the power of darkness being able to twist a mind and control a mind. So how do you battle that? Well, the Holy Spirit. So when we get into this, as you look at, so when you take into account the context of the book of Romans, It shouldn't come as a surprise how frequently the Apostle Paul references the Holy Spirit inside the book of Romans. In fact, he references it more than probably you think because inside the book of Romans, he refers to the Holy Spirit 31 times. Now, how many would say, okay, if he's gonna talk about it 31 times, we'll let pastor talk about it one time. How many would let me talk about it two times? Good, I'll continue on next week. Because here's the thing, how do, you, how do you preach on 31 verses in the book of Romans on the Holy Spirit in one message? It can't be done. Oh, I can do it. I can last that long. It's the participants who can't last that long. And how many know? Neither can the kids. <laughs> okay, so, so I've had to kind of be a little more selective in, in the message today on what parts am I going to address because there's 31 verses to address. Can't do it all in one message. And so as we look at this, when you combine these verses on the Holy Spirit, it paints a very interesting picture of the Holy Spirit's activity in the lives of Christ's followers. You know, in Western ideology, we're just used to everything being laid out. One, two, three, four, five, six. And Paul, you know, he puts a little of it over here, and he puts a little of it over there, and he puts some more of it over here. And you're kind of like, i got to consolidate all these verses to get the picture, and what you find is this. Paul was a huge advocate of the Holy Spirit. He believed in a lot of its manifestations. He preached it, he taught it, he guided it, he corrected it where it got abused. And I find that it really has a lot of, of, I think, importance and value to us today. Because in our Western world, we we have a tendency, you know, when you talk about spiritual, some people go, ah, gee, I hope he doesn't get into all that woo-woo stuff today. And you're like, why, why do we automatically do that? I'm gonna talk about the Holy Spirit, and there's, oh. It's, so I, this recently happened. It was overseas, but it happens when I go to a variety of countries. So I can say this, and I've been to Asia, I've been to South America, I've been to Africa, I've, I've been to a variety of continents. And what's funny is, the evaluation of Christ's followers in all these various continents. They all have the same, somewhat the same value evaluation of us. And it goes like this. And I, even the last time I was over, I got the same set of questions. And it's, there, there's, there's always kind of a, a, a twofold, uh, two, two things that always come up. They say, do your people know they're under spiritual attack by evil spirits? I mean, you Westerners just seem to kind of be like, I don't know. You think science is everything? I go, no, you're reading that right. (laughs) We do. They go, yeah, yeah. Do do, do your folks even get that a lot of the stuff that attacked us is now attacking them? And we didn't beat it it with science. I said, you know, can I put you in my suitcase, take you home? Because... You have more credibility telling them that than I do because some, sometimes it just sounds like you know, oh, you belong to a denomination and that's what they tell you to say. It's like, no, really, seriously. There's there's these biblical principles and they transfer. Another one that, and again, it came up the last time I was there. And these are some of these folks are Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholics, Baptists. and they go. Why can't they figure out the Holy Spirit? I go, because we're educated. <laughs> and they go, really? Uh, like, why do they wrestle with it? And again, these are Baptists, they're Methodists, they're Presbyterians, there's Catholics. They, they go, the, the, the Bible says Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about speaking in tongues. Do your people read? Yeah. They read, but they have this uncanny ability to filter what they read. It's called education. They just know how to go, they, just, they go, well, they do know it's in the Bible, right? And I'm, yeah. And like I said, it's funny. I'm, I'm talking to a person who's Baptist and they speak in tongues. I'm talking to a Methodist, a Presbyterian, they're kinda like, duh, it's in the Bible. And I go, you know, come to America, it's not so clear. We got a lot of stuff going on upstairs up here, you know? We have a, t-. and one person gave me this great illustration and I shared it first, service. one guy said, so let me get this right, your people believe that if they don't experience it, then it must not be for them. Yes. So if God doesn't heal them, then they don't believe in healing anymore. I said, well, that's an exception. Most of them still. So if God doesn't answer their prayer, they don't pray anymore. I mean, if if God doesn't provide, they don't provide anymore. So because they don't believe in the baptism or they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they didn't speak, so therefore they dismiss. So. No wonder that, I go, I really need to take you guys home with me. You preach it so much better than me. Are you all getting the drift? We're starting to create a theology based on personal experience rather than on biblical principle. I know God heals. Sure, I've experienced it. Sure, I've watched him do it. But even if he didn't, and I hadn't seen it, that doesn't change what God wrote. I don't create my God based on my experience. I say, please help my experience to reflect your word. So if there's a deficiency in me, I don't cut the passage out of my Bible because I don't feel it's applicable. No, I say, God, it's not happening in my life but I read in your word that it's real, I want it. I want it. Whatever I gotta do, whatever I have to learn, wherever I have to grow, wherever I have to develop, whatever I have to believe, help me grow. Listen, help me grow my faith to be in harmony with the Bible rather than coming to the conclusion I need to cut up the Bible to reflect what I am. Yeah, so we're gonna look at the Holy Spirit again today. Probably look at it next week. I got 31 verses to choose from. How many know that's a wide selection? So I'm gonna cover eight of them today. Now that's, listen, if you don't believe in miracles, you're about to experience one this morning. Pastor Greg is gonna get through eight points and you're going, I don't believe, we're gonna make a believer out of you this morning, okay? Okay. So basically, we're going to just camp out in Romans chapter 8. We read some of it, but we're just going to camp out in Romans. Just what does the Bible teach us in Romans 8 about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, there's 16 chapters in the book of Romans, so that leaves, that leaves me a whole lot of other material, right? And I'm only covering, you know, 8 of the 31 verses. So I'm not being selective because something else in the passages in the other passages threaten what I'm about to say. I just don't have the time to cover it. So I'm going to cover it to the best of my ability. So everybody ready to go? Here we go. Number 1. Read it out loud with me. Oops, sorry. Number 1, what does it say? We are to live in accordance with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse five, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit. So in other words, it's telling me, I have the ability to harmonize my life with the Scriptures. That I have the ability to harmonize my life with the Spirit. Now that's uncomfortable for somebody who's very physically, oriented in a world, you know, they're like, if I can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, I have a real problem with all this spirit stuff. But the Bible says that I can live in accordance to the spirit. So I've shared this before, but I'm going to remind everybody of this. You are spirit oriented. It's just how you tell yourself the story that prevents you sometimes from seeing how much you believe in it. So let's go to the the fact that we are, everybody knows that if you live long enough, how many know one day you're gonna die? But you go to the funeral service and people will talk about the afterlife, how that their soul, their spirit continues on and that they're united with Christ, then one day we will be reunited with those people. So the emphasis suddenly becomes at a funeral service, we all believe in the spirit. Because we know that that's what continues on into eternity. So the statement I make to you is this. We are spirit beings who are having a physical experience. Some of you went, huh? Let me say it again. We are spirit beings who are having a physical experience. And when that physical experience is over, how many know the spirit continues on? Right. But sometimes we get caught up in the physical. We fail to recognize the momentum that I existed as a spirit. It's just that God gave me a body now and he gave you a body. But one day that body ceases to exist and the spirit lives on. We're spirit beings. Well, wouldn't it make sense then if I'm a spirit being that I have the ability to live in accordance with the spirit? Now, I'm not telling you to go wacko Go off the deep end. It's an acknowledgement. We, listen, we all have the physical world that we have to deal in as well. It's not either or, it's both. It's called balance. Everybody say balance. Okay, it's both. But in our culture, we have such a minimization on the spirit, we have If it can't get into a lab and into a test tube, it can't be real. I'm telling you, there's a lot of things that will never make it into the laboratory. And they're real. Everybody? Amen? Number two, read it out loud. We are to have our minds set on what the Holy Spirit desires. In verse five, it says, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Two things here. My mindset, it says that I have a willpower that I have to engage. I can, if I'm going to set my mind on it, then I have to engage my will. So this is not something that just happens by circumstance. It's not one of those you just go, set me right, God. No, 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 no. I have to engage my will. If I'm going to set my mind on it, then I've got skin in the game. Then he says on what the Spirit desires. Now, ah, how do you know when it's the Holy Spirit and when it's the lasagna from last night talking to you? <laughs> hey, we've all been there like, is this God or is this some, you know, seems a little, I don't know. How, okay, so in order for me to understand what the Spirit desires, I have to know his word. Because then I, I'm going I'm to use this then we can start to rec- recognize what a divine urge is. See, most of us in this room already know what an evil desire is, right? I mean, you know, that, that, that urge when somebody's talking that says, let them have it. And you graciously go, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. Good for you. Or, I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind. Please don't, you don't have enough to spare. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. You know, there's that. Now I'm going to preach to myself. Have you ever heard of the word filter? (laughs) Filter, filter, filter. Just because you're thinking it doesn't mean you have to say it, you know. So most of us know the evil urge, man. I mean, we all have it. It comes and you go. I mean, we've all said. Okay, let's take a poll. How many have ever had an evil urge? I'm looking for the really holy people here. <laughs> okay, well, okay. You, if you breathe, it happens. And it's, part of it is just the ability to go, yeah, it's just not happening. And you just, you just dismiss it and you move on. But here's the thing, do you know what a divine urge is? A divine urge says you need to go help, you need to do something, you need to make a difference. And you go, it's none of my business. And then some voice says, well, you need to make it your business. You know, it's that voice that says, go help them. You know, I can't, I don't want to help anybody. Leave me alone. You know, you're, you're having this battle and I can assure you that's not an evil voice. Evil voices don't go, hey, go help. Or go assist or do, do something positive or go give them an encouraging, I don't even know who they are. Go give them an encouraging word. Recognizing that divine impulse. See, if i know his word i can better differentiate an evil impulse from a divine impulse but i have to set my mind on that set my mind means this hey god there you give divine urges for people to do things that they would normally not do to go say things that they would normally not say to go make a difference I set my mind on that, that I would like for you to give me those divine urges today. I'd like to make somebody's day. But I would would rather know it's coming from you rather than me just indiscriminately walking around. I would really like for you to give me a nudge today. Go help. Go tell them. Go say something. Go assist. Give me a divine urge. I want to do that. So you got to set your mind on that you are available and that you're open to it. Because I'm telling you, we can get, listen, we all, we can get so busy, we'll, we'll, we'll schedule God right out, of the, right out of the picture with good intentions. I mean, we're not trying to be evil about it. We just get going. We've got such an agenda that God can throw a divine urge and we go, I ain't got the time and it's legit. We don't. So it starts with setting your mind that hey, I believe in those and I want to be a part of it and God I'm making myself available to it. And everybody said amen. amen. Number 3, read it out loud. We are to have our minds governed by the Holy Spirit. You see it's one thing to say my mind is set, It's another thing to say my mind is governed because it says in verse six, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So when I say governed, it means this. I have given the spirit authority to tell me what is right and wrong. I'm governed. So that means some of the stuff that happens in life, there's no wrestling match in my head. Because I'm governed by the Spirit, the Spirit has already said this is right and that's wrong. And it's clear. And so, again, that's being familiar with the Word. What happens in temptation is this we toy with the idea on how we could make it good. I can tell you right there the enemy already has you, he set the hook. Now it's all about the struggle as he reels you in. You're going to go like this. You may jump up out of the water and you may, and he's already set the hook. He's just reeling you in, baby. Why? Because you started toying in your mind. Well, there might be a way to get some benefit out of this. Are you kidding me? You really expect the devil to give you an option that actually has some good in it? Are you kidding me? See, we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what he did with Eve. Did God really say, and Eve said, God said, don't. And then he said, you know why God said that? Because he knows that when you eat of this, you'll be like him. Oh. So she started toying with the idea there might be a way to eat this and be like God. Well, who doesn't want to be like God, right? I mean, who who wouldn't, if an opportunity presented, our human nature, who wouldn't grab that? He set the hook on her. Now it's just reel her in. It's all that's left. Once you start toying with something that the Holy Spirit has governed and said, don't do it, don't, well, he's, you just took the bait. Now there's just nothing but a fight, but with that hook setting you, where do you think it's going to take you? What do you think is going to happen? See, being governed by the Holy Spirit helps us to make quick decisions about bad stuff. Those quick decisions are what? Not for me. Well, what? Not for me. I don't do it. I don't go there. I don't do that. Not on my radar. Not an option. What else you got? You just, when you're governed by the Holy Spirit, he helps you to be more definitive in what in your mind is a gray area. How many know the Holy Spirit can go, we can clean that up. Because gray area is made up of dark and light. He says we can sort that out real quick. Amen? Number four, read it out loud. The Holy Spirit it lives in us. Well, if we're going to have all this activity, then it means he's got to live in me. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... They do not belong to Christ. Then if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now I know that's a mouthful, so let me just translate it. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to be alongside of you. He doesn't want to be, accompany you. He wants to be in you. Big difference. Because that means wherever I go, he goes. Why? Because he's beside me? No, he's in me. You get me, you get him. We're one. In fact, it's not in the book of Romans, but it's over in the book of Corinthians. He even expands that farther by saying that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So wherever you go, he goes. He's not your buddy. He's not your friend. He's in you. And then he says this, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are resurrected with a new body. See, this is kind of interesting. Some people I don't know if I buy all that Holy Spirit stuff. I say you will in eternity. Because it's the Holy Spirit that does the transformation from the, from the mortal body into the immortality. The one that takes the perishable and makes it imperishable. Trust me, you believe in the Holy Spirit. Because without it, there's no transformation. See, the Holy Spirit was sent to continue the work of Jesus on earth. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and me. And the Holy Spirit is here continuing Jesus' expression, and He's chosen to express it through you and I. So you can see, it's not optional equipment. People treat the Holy Spirit like do I want heated seats or not? I mean, it's nice, but I wouldn't say it's necessary to go on a trip. Well, let my wife talk to you, and she'll convince you why you you, you, light heated seats. No, some people treat it that way. It's like, it's nice, but, you know, it's not necessary. Do you understand all of God's activity here comes from the Holy Spirit? That doesn't sound optional. So then I need this, like I said, it's interesting in just one chapter how much language Paul employs trying, listen, so I probably should have said this earlier. He's talking to a bunch of pagans who have accepted Jesus. They don't know anything about the spirit. All they know are Roman gods and you know, and even, the, even Caesar says he's God and he's in the flesh. So their whole life is based on these other gods and here comes Paul and he's talking about the Holy Spirit and they're kind of like, well, all of our gods come in the form of an image of an idol spirit. Do you realize how hard it was for these Roman Christians to get their brain wrapped around it? Because they've been, they have only known pagan gods, and every pagan god had a stone statue. And they would go, there's your god. And if you wanted to experience that god, you had to get to the temple And now you've got a Holy Spirit that Paul says, you don't need to go there because you're the temple, because the Holy Spirit's in you and he goes wherever you go. Do you understand how hard that must have been? Because they didn't, you know, they hadn't been to Bible college yet. And if Paul can get a bunch of pagans who have a whole different orientation on religiosity and he's literally going Everything you've ever learned is wrong. And they're relearning. And the fact that they would receive it is amazing. There's a lot of application for you and I in this. Don't limit what God's Holy Spirit wants to do through you. Don't limit it. Number five, read it out loud. The Holy Spirit puts the misdeeds of the body to death. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. There's nothing surprising there. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So it's telling us here that the, mis, that the Holy Spirit in me is one of the ways that I can overcome the misdeeds of the body. Why, even Jesus said, a divided house cannot stand. So if I've got a Holy Spirit in here, an evil spirit can't be in there. If there's a Holy Spirit here, that means the evil spirit has to go. It means the if the Holy Spirit is in me, then the impure spirit has to go. That doesn't mean there can't be a war and a conflict from time to time as those two spirit worlds collide. But it just says this, the Holy Spirit is what gives us the victory on the inside. Why? Because it goes back to earlier. We have to move beyond trying to change people's behavior because the behavior flows from what they believe. Then how do we change that script? The Holy Spirit says, you let me get in there and I'll clean it up. The Holy Spirit will help a person put the misdeeds of the body. It says he'll put them to death. The misdeeds. Number six. Read it out loud. The Holy Spirit. We've kind of touched on this, but it leads us. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You you don't have to be in Christianity very long before you hear the phrase, "You know, we're spirit led." And if, if you're new to Christianity, you're kind of going okay, is there a class around here I don't know about or something, you know, where all this stuff gets taught? What Spirit-led means this. I'm being led by divine impulses rather than even evil, evil impulses. I recognize that there is a sinful man in me that I can quiet, that I can starve, that I can limit. Listen, until, until this body dies, and we are given a glorious body, we will always have a fight going on inside of us. The question is, is the degree to which the fight occurred. So I wanna make that sinful man as weak as possible. And I wanna make the spiritual man in me as strong as possible. And so for those who are led by the Spirit, it's recognizing that in my physical world, I can have spirit impulses. It doesn't mean I go off and act wacko. It doesn't mean I get all woo-woo. And people are going, what's going on? I don't know, they're in the Spirit right now. No. You never read any of this in the New Testament. It's people's reaction to what they feel is going on. And part of that is, is teaching people how to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing. We Listen, we have skin in the game. God doesn't override our will. God doesn't, you know, cause us to check out because listen, discipleship means I have my will engaged. Discipleship can't happen if I'm not engaged. I have to be engaged. So spirit-led means I might have an experience that's normal compared to other people, but suddenly something says, when this meeting is over, you need to talk to them and ask how they're doing. Well, I can assure you the devil doesn't put ideas in people's heads like that. So I've said this before. One of the things I do, my calendar is my prayer in the morning. I I open up my phone. I see who I'm meeting with. I see whether it's a team meeting. I see whether it's a one-on-one. If I'm having lunch, if I have a Skype, if I have a Zoom, I look at that and I pray for every one of those. And I go, God, I know what the agenda is. I know it. Most of the time I know what the person wants and I know what you know what they need. But here's the thing. I'm asking for you to lead by your spirit. God, feel free to give me divine impulses. Help me to be prepared to speak to things that are not on the agenda. I'm telling you, you pray your calendar every morning like that, it'll change your week. It doesn't change every appointment, but you get one or two of those changed. I'm telling you, you'll be praying over your calendar every day. Oh God, I pray for that. I pray for this. I pray for this meeting. I pray for the work that I'm doing. I know the people that I'll be serving. Help me God uh, to be open to more than just what the assignment is. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will talk to you and give you urges. And I can assure you, it's not the devil saying, go ask how they need pray or prayer. He's not going to do that. In fact, it's just the opposite. You don't need to pray for them. Stay out of their business. I'm like, whoa, now I am going to pray for him. <laughs> He's the father of lies. Leave him alone. None of your business. Why would you tell me that? Now I am going to pray for him. No big deal. Move on. Really? I think I'm going to pray for him now. I don't know what's going on, but. If the enemy's trying to stop me from praying for somebody, that means something's up. He doesn't attack things that aren't a threat. Remember that the next time you go on, you feel like you're being attacked. Why is he so scared of you? See, it's understanding the enemy never attacks something that doesn't have potential. So when the enemy comes after you, why is he doing that? What is he so afraid of that God might do in your life? And he's trying to stop it. Here we go, number seven. Read it out loud. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit. We have what we call a conscience. We have what we call a moral value system that shows up even in our physiology, That when we feel good and we know we've done good, there's endorphins that release and we feel even better and all these kinds of things. There is a physical response when we do what's right. It shows up even in our demeanor. It can change how we look, how we talk, how we act, how we feel. And it says the spirit testifies with our spirit. It's the ability to know that when I've done something that the Holy Spirit wanted me to do, I feel good about it. It's that, feeling when you put your head on the pillow at night and you literally feel like god saying well done today sleep good it's you've tackled something that that morning you were as nervous as a cat i hope this goes well today or something that popped up on the radar that you didn't have any for, you didn't have any ability to forecast, but because you were guided by biblical principles and led by the Spirit, you brought peace, you brought harmony, you made a situation better, you took something bad and you turned it into good. And it's putting your head on the pillow at night and going, "God, if I got to do that every day, whew, thank you." And it's it's this it's it's feeling the validation of the Holy Spirit. That's why I can describe this. Many of you have kids who are in sports. If you haven't discovered by now, in a game, somebody wins and somebody loses. Even in the venues where they say, we're not gonna keep score. There are parents and grandparents who are sitting on the sideline and they are keeping score. So that, come on, we all know that, right? Everybody's keeping score. It's just not official, but I know what the score is when my grandkids are playing. I know who's winning, I know who's losing. If they'll ask me, I'll tell them, but if they don't, I just stay quiet. And they played their heart and soul out. But they still lost. It's going to them and say, you played a great game. I know what the score is. But you did good. You made a teammate look good with the pass. You made made a teammate look good when you did XYZ. I heard the coach tell you to make a modification, and you did it, and it really made a difference. I watched you play with integrity. I watched you play fair. I watched you play your heart out. I know you lost, but well done. That, my friend, is a validation that you can't get on a playing field. Because on the playing field, it's just the score. But the validation comes from the conversations after the game. That's what I'm talking about. Win or lose. Sometimes we lose. Sometimes we win in life. That's just how it is. we, we We don't always come out on top. But it's the Holy Spirit going, well done. You played fair. You played right. And you didn't cave in to those evil desires. Well done. Sleep good. Everybody said amen. Amen. The last one, number eight, read it out loud. The Holy Spirit assists us. It assists us when we pray. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Listen, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Notice wordless, but there's audibleness, but they're not words. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There is the ability to call on God in your own language and he will listen. But there are times when things happen. You are above your ability to articulate even how to pray. You are, there are no words in the English vocabulary that feel adequate. And that's why you pray in the spirit. You just pray. There are moments in time when you don't know what is best and you don't know how to pray. Go into the spirit and pray in your language. You say, I've prayed for that before and I've never received it. Fine, keep asking. It's like a healing. Just because he told me no one time doesn't mean I'm never gonna ask for healing again. Oh, he's gonna hear about it. Have you ever noticed pain is a tremendous motivator? For asking for, are you, have you ever noticed how much you can pray for healing when you're hurting? It's like 24-7. You know, you're just constantly, because you're in pain. Right. And it's the same way. Sometimes the pain of life brings us something. We go, I don't even have the articulation for this. I don't even, I don't even, I don't even know what to pray for. You see, life has a way of showing up suddenly. Suddenly. In this congregation, every week, there is somebody who is experiencing a tragedy personally or somebody close to them is experiencing a tragedy every week. There are people who are celebrating some of the most wonderful and terrific things in life simultaneously. And so as a leader, it's kind of like a roller coaster because one minute you're celebrating and then next minute you're with somebody who has just had their world rocked. I don't mind telling you, myself, the pastoral team, we lean into praying in the spirit because sometimes we just don't know what to pray. Because it's so horrific, it's so difficult, it's so bad. But here's the other thing is, God has always had divine appointments out there. God has people, you know, the, the first prayer would have been, how about it never happened? But then the other side of it is God always has people there. I know Phyllis Judd is here. She was, in a, she was just going through an intersection. Somebody else violated that intersection. T-boned her. Serious. They had to lifeline her out. But yet there were people in our church who drove by that, saw that wreck, and started praying, saying, God, I don't know who that woman is, but I can tell that's bad. Please, Jesus, start to heal. They didn't know it was Phyllis. They didn't know it was Phyllis from the church. A couple months later, we had Tammy Lasher and her daughter who were in a severe wreck. And as that wreck was being discerned, people who saw the wreck, one of the ladies in our church who was in Tammy's small group saw the wreck, pulled over, ran to the car, recognized that it was Tammy from her small group, just began to pray. Many of the emergency personnel who showed up at that wreck were from the church. Just as two weeks ago, you saw a tragic wreck out at the 211 out there at the intersection where somebody was going 80, 85 miles an hour and rear-ended a car and the the woman was killed. That was Diane, she was from our church. Madero's family, they come here. On her way home from work. The first EMT on the site was from our church. Diane didn't make it. But she was able to tell the family, I was with your your wife, your mom, your grandmother. And I prayed for her as we were pulling her out. You know, I wish that stuff never happened so that we never had to have those stories. But God has his people everywhere. Everywhere. And we need to be aware of the divine urges when He sends them our direction, that it's just not a person. It's a human being that's got a family, that's got dynamics and relationships. Yeah, you're there, but God put you there to help. Well, I don't know how to pray. You need the Holy Spirit. Just pray. Just pray he'll answer in ways that sometimes we wish it was another way that he'd answer. But I can tell you this, God is always faithful to answer. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. And here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna ask everybody, would you lift your hands and for about 60 seconds, would you say, God, increase the Holy Spirit's presence in my life? Come on, that's a simple prayer. We have a biblical mandate. That's not gonna happen standing in silence. We have to offer the invitation, Holy Spirit come. on, Come on, lift your voices right now.